for joining us as we hear an anointed word from Treasure Coast Victory Center. Glory to God. Okay, did you bring a Bible this morning? Are you ready? Go to Matthew chapter 20 this morning. Last week we started talking about self-giving love. Basically, that is the crux or the center of the kingdom. Matthew chapter 20, there are things we're going to have to change in our way of thinking in order to line up with the kingdom of God and things, a lot of times it's not even our thinking, it's just in our heart from where we've been taught, where we've been raised, the way we've been instructed, what, what's success, what's not success, all these things, and only the word of God is going to change those things and studying the life of the king himself will do that for you. Matthew chapter 20, look at verse 20. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou want? She said unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit the one at thy right hand and the other on the left in thy kingdom. Look at verse 24. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. Now we found out last week there are two kingdoms in a battle here on the earth, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of self. Say the kingdom of self. Kingdom of self. The kingdom of self is basically what we were all born with. We were selfish. We thought about ourselves. Basically, you get any little child out there and basically you try to take their toy away, you're going to have a fight. If you try to tell them to do something, they're going to argue with you. Why is that? Because they're all self-absorbed and they want what they think is best for themselves. Many people grow up like that, even in the kingdom of God, get born again and still live in the kingdom of self. The kingdom of self will bring you no joy whatsoever. I was so blessed this week to, uh, when I came one, one morning to when they were having VBS, because I'm teaching on self-giving. So when you're teaching on something, you are always got your radar out looking for it. You know what I mean? So it was out there, and all at once, uh, I walked into the kitchen, and everybody's in there having their cookies or snacks or what all the little kids doing. Some of them yell, hi, Pastor, hi, Pastor, you know, all that stuff. But there's one little boy who came over to me and actually brought his cookie to me and said, would you like half of my cookie? And I thought, oh, my gosh. I didn't beg him for it. I didn't cry for it. He just, I said, no, thank you. You can have it. Thank you very much. Went back and sat down. And then they got their drinks. And he got his little drink, and he came over again. He said, would you like some of my drink? I thought, dear God, you know, this kid ought to be teaching what I'm teaching on Sunday mornings probably. He probably knows more about it than I do. It was Zachary, actually, who did it. Little Zach came up to me both times and did it. I thought, my gosh, that's really something. Because how many of you know you don't see that? That's right. If anything, they'd be taking his cookie, beating him up, leaving him in the corner, so they got two cookies, basically. That's the way we're basically raised, and that's the way that we do things, praise God. So there's self-giving, there's things of giving, and a lot of times this self-giving love doesn't take that much. It just takes something small. I'll give you another example. Wednesday night, we were here in church. Luann was preaching. She did a great job sitting here on the front row, just minding my own business, and uh, little Sarah came up. I mean, this is a girl who wouldn't give me the time of day three months ago. You know what I mean? It was come here. It was... <laughs> now something has happened on the inside of her and I wasn't doing anything I was just facing Luann sitting there and she walked up and tapped me on the shoulder I turned around it was her and she just gave me this biggest hug right in the middle of service and went running back with a big smile I said my God and I tell you what it wasn't much but that blessed the crap out of me man it's just like little goosebumps went all the way down through me and everything this little girl came up and hugged me for no obvious reason at all. I said, that was really neat. You know, so it doesn't take a whole lot of stuff to make people's day in this self-giving. But notice, here we find a couple of the disciples. They know that Jesus is going to come into his kingdom. And the first thing they want to do is one wants to sit on the right hand and the other one wants to sit on the left hand. Now, one thing that will keep you from self-giving is a pursuit of you 
raising yourself up in different areas of your life. You're always looking to serve others. You're always looking to prefer others. If you're looking to serve yourself, prefer yourself, you're going to end up in a bad situation like these do. Notice, and apparently the other 10 wanted the same seats. Or else why would they get mad because those two tried to get those seats? So the other 10 got mad because why? They were trying to get those two seats. The mother was even involved in the thing and everything else. But notice, they look at success. They were still looking at success in a different way. And the world and we have looked at success in a different way. Success is not how much money you have. Success is not in how many houses you have. Success is not that you're famous. Success is not you to play pro sports. None of those successes have anything to do with the kingdom of God whatsoever. But it's been built into us in the world. You know, I was flipping through the channels the other day and that uh, shark tank thing came up, whatever it's where they come in and they got those inventions and they try to do this or that. And one of the sharks was speaking, can't even remember which one, but they said, one great idea could make you very successful. And I'm thinking, I don't care if you get a good idea and make millions, that does not equal success in my book. That equals success in the world. It may be success to that person, but that's not what success is. Success is basically what God says success is, and many of the successes we look at are selfish ambition. Well, if you turn around and you tell those people on Shark Tank that if they really want to be great, they should serve other people, how many know you wouldn't be on that show very long? <laughs> They'd be circling you in no time. Why is that? Because that's not the kingdom way to them. It's the worldly way. And we've got to break through from this worldly way and understand that being on top is not it. How many know that even many times this is in the church? It's filtered in. Just go to James. We'll just go there. Go to James chapter 2. You've got to remember that many things that were written in the Bible were written in the Bible because whoever wrote them through the Holy Ghost knew that there was going to be a problem with them to begin with. That's why they were written in there to deal with that problem when that problem came up. Are you following me? All right, look at James chapter 2. Look at verse 1. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect to persons. For if there comes into your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and you have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand here in the back of church, or sit under my footstool. Are you not then partial in yourselves, and become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, has not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before judgment seats. Do not they blaspheme you that worthy the name by which you are called. If you are fulfilled with the royal law of the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You do well, but if you have respect to persons, you commit sin, and you are convinced the law of transgressors. Now notice, what's it talking about here? It's talking about if somebody walks into a church, they got gold all over them. They look like they're very wealthy. Many of the churches would seat them in the front row. Why is that? Because they see success and see a way of getting money as success by putting that person in the front, the poor person they basically keep in back. You can see that right now even in the world. Most of the people who are rich and famous in Hollywood or anywhere else do not like Christians. They do not think the same way that we think. They do not adjust the same way that we adjust. But notice here he tells you right here, the poor are rich in faith. Say rich in faith. Rich in faith. And I love that he used that word rich there. Because riches in the kingdom of God are not money, finances, or anything else. It's faith. 
Money is the currency of the world. Faith is the currency of the kingdom of God. If you've got enough money, you can get anything you want in the world. If you've got enough faith, you can get anything you want out of the kingdom of God. Are you following me? So it's two different things, basically. So what was he doing here? He was cautioning these people against basically putting all the rich people on the front row, you know, like we have done. Wealthy Wendy and rich Ted here on the front row, on the left-hand side here. And, of course, the very wealthy Robinsons here in their seat right here, praise God. But... You're supposed to be giving it out, praise God, not begging for it on the other side. So notice, what's, what's he dealing with here? He's doing with your, the way you look at success. How am I successful? What am I doing? It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, black or white, young or old. If you're rich, you are self-giving to other people. You're looking to give to other people. All right, go to Matthew chapter 20 again. All right, back to Matthew 20, the two are there looking for good seats. Look at verse 25. But Jesus called them unto him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles, or the people in the world, exercise dominion over them, and they that are a great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. Now, who is he talking to now? Kingdom citizens, isn't he? But it shall not be so among you, verse 26, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your servant or your minister. And whosoever shall be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for how many? Many. Now, what's he doing once again? He's attacking the world's thought life in your brain and trying to switch it over to kingdom thinking and the kingdom way of thinking. How does he do that? Many times he gives an illustration or he talks to people. So he's saying here basically, the more of a servant you become, the greater you become in the kingdom of God. In the world, it's not that way. It's completely different. So Jesus basically is saying, that's when the Bible says, and he says, uh, pick up your cross. Did you ever hear that? Pick up your cross and follow me. What's he talking about? People say, oh, well, this sore shoulder of mine is just my cross. This husband of mine is just my cross. This kid of mine is just my cross. No, your cross is self-giving love just like Jesus did. And if you try to do that for a while, you're going to wish you had a sore shoulder. Because it's a lot harder to do on a daily basis. Continue to give self. Continue to look at other people. Continue to prefer other people. So your cross is the same cross that Jesus did when he laid down his life for each and every one of us here. Self-giving love. We are to pick up our cross and we are to follow what he's doing. All right, go to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, look at verse 20. And there were certain Greeks, say Greeks, Greeks, and there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip told Jesus. Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. He that loves his life shall lose it. 
He that hates his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause I came unto this hour. All right, let me give you the picture here. Here's Jesus. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. What's he on his way to Jerusalem for? He's going to suffer, die on the cross. On the way there, some Greeks here he's coming by. The Greek people basically knew what was going to happen to Jesus when he went to Jerusalem. They knew what was coming. So what did they do? They gave Jesus an offer. They said, come to us in Greece. We know you're a good teacher. We will make you our teacher. We will make you our love teacher. We'll give you an opportunity to preach the kingdom of God all over our countryside there. So simply just come to us and be a preacher for the Greeks rather than go to Jerusalem. In other words, come to Athens rather than go to Jerusalem. Now, how many know that was a good offer? Here I can go over there. I can teach the kingdom of God. That's what I'm here for and preach the kingdom of God. I can be honored there. I can be well known there. I can have a great ministry there. Sounds pretty good and natural, don't it? But notice, it wasn't what he was called to do for the kingdom's sake in the kingdom of God. He was called to go to Jerusalem. Say Jerusalem. Sometimes when you're trying to walk in this self-love thing, you're going to find counterfeits on your way to doing your self-love thing. In other words, there's going to be other offers there for you. I mean, Jesus looks at this thing. He's got to be thinking. You can't tell me as a, as a human man and also God, he didn't think that would be pretty nice. That'd be pretty nice to go to Athens and teach the people there and be well-known and live a long life. Or I can go to Jerusalem and watch them nail me to a cross and kill me. Now, how many know this has to be a spiritual decision? So his issue was what? Athens or Jerusalem? You deal with the same Athens-Jerusalem decision every single day of your life. Every time you come into a situation, every time you come into a circumstance, it's there. Let me give you an example early in my ministry. We started out at the Holiday Inn. We were in there for, I don't know, close to a year. Things were going fairly well. We had services on Sunday morning and Sunday night because we only had the place for one day. We had to set up the equipment all the time, take it back down, everything else. All at once, somebody contacted me from the prayer meeting I used to do in the Catholic prayer meeting, and they said they were looking for a pastor at their denominational church. He wanted me to meet their board or whoever they had there and talk to them. So I said, well, I'll talk to your board, you know, see what they got to say. I went to the board. They talked to me. I had an interview with them, and basically they said, well, basically, uh, okay, thanks for the interview, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I left, didn't think anything of it. Pretty soon they gave me a call, and the board had decided basically that uh, they, were good, they could offer me a church building that they already had. They had a board there. They also had a congregation of anywhere between 100 to 120 people already made already there. In other words, you didn't have to grow it. It was already there. And they were also going to offer me six figures a year if I'd like to take the job. Well, right now I'm in the Holiday Inn. I've got no building. I've got about 40 members. Got like zero cash anywhere. Getting paid a little bit and working at the post office. Come on. And all at once this is offered. This is God. Oh, mo, Wait. I'm feeling the kingdom hit me at this point. So I said, well, uh, you know, they wanted to come in for a second interview. I said, okay, I'll come in for a second interview. Went in there, and all at once things started to unfold. Say unfold. unfold. All at once it was, uh, we really love you. We like your age. We like the way you do things. But let, me, let us ask this. What do you think about this healing stuff? And I said, well, I think Jesus came to the cross, provided healing for every single person, and he healed us 2,000 years ago, and we can receive healing. That's not quite the way that we see it in our church. And if you're going to be here, you're going to have to line up a little bit more with the way we see healing than the way you're looking at healing. 
And we've got scriptures to back it and everything else, and that way nobody's feathers will get ruffled and everybody will be happy. What do you believe about laying hands on the sick? Well, I believe you lay hands on the sick, they recover. We don't quite believe it that way. I said, you don't? What do you believe? We just believe that, you know, God will put sickness on you to help you or to teach you or to grow you, and sometimes he heals and sometimes he don't. And what do you believe about baptism of the Holy Ghost? I believe you're full of the Holy Ghost. Do you believe in speaking in tongues? Yes. We don't quite believe it that way. So they're making all these charts out about if I come there and get my six figures and get the church and get 100 people, all i got to do is teach basically what the board wants me to teach rather than I know. How many know that? That pretty much put an end to that signal. I mean, that made the kingdom decision very, very easy for me to understand that. But notice, it looked good, did it not? And this had to look good to Jesus himself, praise God. It was a way out of there. I'll tell you, even after Jesus went into the wilderness for those 40 days and 40 nights and came out, and Satan came to him and said, all this authority, I mean, you know, he came to get it back, and he knew that, all this authority I'll give you if you simply bow down and worship me. Now, you got to be thinking, one little bow down, still get the authority back, at least some of it, or do I want to go to the cross, get nailed? That's why he says, pick up your cross, starting to make sense, ain't it? Pick up your cross and follow me. Why is that? Because as long as you're going to save your life down the line, you're going to lose it. And it doesn't mean you're going to die. It means soulishly, emotionally, physically, mentally, all these things will start affecting you basically in your life basically if you do not become self-giving rather than a selfish person who's always looking to get every single thing that they want in their life and try to take it. So Jesus basically was giving us an illustration here and something that was going on. People say all the time, well, Jesus is my Lord. I have decided to follow Jesus. Have you? Everybody born again in church. I follow in Jesus. Are you? Oh, yeah. Were you following him too? Well, I'm following him into riches. I'm following him into, no, are you following him into self-giving? Well, no, I don't really want to go there. That's not exactly the place I want to go. Are you going to follow him into love your husband? No, I'm not going to do that. Praise God. See, what's going on there? Basically, we want to follow Jesus as long as we don't have to do what Jesus always did. As long as we don't have to go to the cross, you know, we can wear a cross around our neck, do anything else. But praise God, what is it? It's a self-sacrificing and a regarding of other people also at the same time. All right, look at verse 26. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am there shall also be my servant. But if any man serve me, him will my father honor. Look at verse 27. Now is my soul what? Now who's talking now? Jesus. Why, am I, so why was his soul troubled? Because he was going to have to go to the cross rather than take the easy way out of the situation, and his soul got troubled. How many of you ever had a troubled soul? Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the time, haven't you? But notice, as long as you make the kingdom decision every time, you're going to be all right. There's going to be battles with your feelings. There's going to be battles for your emotions. Notice what he says, for this cause I came. What did he do? He made up his mind. So what did he say, Father? Go ahead and glorify your name. In other words, I've chosen Jerusalem. I'm not going to choose the other offer that's been put out there because I know that's not with your kingdom of God. All right, look at verse 32. And Jesus says, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw how many men? How many men? Notice, all men. Notice, the heart of the kingdom of God is basically self giving love. It's not Rome. It's not Athens. It's not Jerusalem. It's not any of those things. It's basically your heart becoming one with his so that you're looking to bless other people, to give to other people, to help other people, to do whatever and putting their their needs before yours. And notice when you do that, you'll draw all men unto you. When you become a lover and a giver, you'll start drawing people to you. 
In other words, people will want to be around you. People will want to want you when they need help. People will come to you. They'll be able to understand that love that's on the inside of you. It is a drawing card. And Jesus said, once I do that self-giving love and lift up myself, people are going to be drawn to me. That's why when you go out and minister to other people or try to get them in the kingdom of God, don't point out all their sins. They already know those. Point out God's love for them, that he cared for them, that he died for them, that he wants them in the kingdom of God. What are you doing? You're displaying what happened on the cross, self-giving love that Jesus gave to them. That's what draws people. They already know they're, they're unworthy, they're sinners, and they're not supposed to do anything. You don't have to reinforce that. They've been told that their whole life. So basically their soul was troubled, and his soul was troubled, but basically he made the right choice. Say, he made the right choice. All right, go to Philippians chapter 2. All right, about this whole chapter is about Jesus and self-giving love as an example for us. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, look at verse 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves. Here's a kingdom heart. Verse 4. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. In other words, it's not wrong to look on your own things. It's wrong to only look on your own things. You're going to have to look after yourself also, but there is a, an even thing to be self-regarding and others-regarding. You need both in your life, and you need to find a balance for them. All right, now he's going to give the example of Jesus. Look at verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Now this shows you what Jesus did. What happened? Well, he was divine by nature. He emptied himself basically of himself. He took the nature of a servant. He stooped to die on the cross. Basically, he hit bottom at that time. Hallelujah. How many know that's not the end and you're glad it's not? All right. Look at verse 9. Wherefore, because of that, God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So where did his promotion come from? It came from him turning his life over into a self-giving, a self-looking after, a, a preferring others place that elevated him into the promotion that he had. Now sometimes this is easy to do for people you like and not so easy to do for people you don't like. And I mean, we really like everybody, but some people we just don't like as well as we like other people. Are you following me? I mean, let's face it, there's people in our lives who hurt us. There's people in our life who backstabbed us. There are people in our life who do that. Well, we can't push them off to the side and just say, that's too bad. I I mean, those are the 10 people I don't have to love and self-give in this world. We just ain't going to do that. No, every single person is one that you're going to have to make a decision where you're going to love them and you're going to prefer them, even if they don't love you and prefer you. Praise God. I'll give you another example. 
when I got in the ministry, of course, you think everybody's going to love you, everybody's going to be happy, everybody's going to be all whatever. People come to church, they're here for a while, sometimes they get mad at this, sometimes they get mad at that, sometimes they leave. A lot of times when they leave, they'll take people with them just because they're gone and everybody gets mad. You know how the, this goes around and all that stuff. Well, we've had, we had several of those things, of course, in our church. I expected they were going to happen. I mean, it just does, basically. You've got all different kind of Christians. You've got little babies. You've got middle ones. You've got grown-up ones. You've got all different ones. Well, it came to a time where there was people who left the church in our early goings. Say our early goings. Well, then down the road, three or four years later or two years later, all at once I would get a phone call from one of them. You know, my child's in the hospital. They're in intensive care. Could you come and pray for my child? Are you with me? Well, thank God that didn't happen until three or four years down the road because I knew how to handle the situation because I didn't care what they did to me anymore because I knew what I needed to do kingdom-wise. Say kingdom-wise. So you're going to have to make a choice between the way, or choice between the way you think and what you think looks natural and your feelings much or what the kingdom tells you to do. Now, the problem with me was when I get up in the middle of the night and do that and I come home the next morning, I got two little boys who are mad at me. Don't you remember what they said about you? We remember, Daddy, that they stabbed you in the back. We remember that they took so-and-so with them. We remember that they didn't like you anymore. Why would you go? What's the matter with you? Are you a wimp? What's the matter with you, Daddy? Why would you go? How many know that's the world thinks? Now, hopefully they've grown out of that. They've seen enough time where they don't really have a choice. But that's the way they look at it. Why? Why would you go pray for those people after what they did? They were probably hoping I prayed for their death. Come on. Think about it. What, they stabbed you? Why should you do that? Why should you do that? You should do that because it's not a personal thing. It's not a worldly thing. It is a kingdom thing, and the kingdom always responds. Every situation you get into, every problem, every circumstance you run into, if you would just handle it the kingdom way, you wouldn't have any more problems. But you want to handle it your way. You want to handle it the way that you think. You want to give them a piece of your mind that you can't spare. See, it don't work that way. It's not your mind. This is a kingdom thing, and this is all-inclusive in every area of your life, from marriage to people around you to people you don't like to people. You're going to have to act like Jesus did. Pray. You see somebody messing up? You don't go point out everything they're messing up. If somebody's making fun of them, find out, praise God, if they haven't sinned so they can cast the first stone. See, we've got to start acting like kingdom people and living like kingdom people, and I'll tell you why, and it's not the main reason, but you get kingdom benefits when you do that. The kingdom benefits rely on. For years and years, the church has said, I believe God, I didn't have enough faith. I didn't believe enough faith. No, you're selfish and you're blocking. It's not your faith problem. It's your lifestyle problem. Well, I wanted $2 million. Well, I wanted a boat, a yacht, four houses, six. And you've been making $100 a week and haven't been tithing anything. Do you see what I mean? It's not a question of faith sometimes. It's just a question of lining up with the kingdom of God, living a righteous lifestyle in line with him. And righteous lifestyle is self-giving. And when you start self-giving, it opens the windows of heaven, praise God, for the blessings of God to come in your life and upon your life. It just works that way. Are you following me? It just, it's like if you're underwater and you've got a jar there. As long as the lid's on, no water's going to get in. But boy, you take that. You can't keep the water out of there. It's going to come in. It's the same way with the kingdom of God. It's that we walk in the ways of the kingdom of God. So here you can see that there's reward for going. Jesus went from the highest place in the universe to the lowest place in the universe and right back up to the highest place in the universe. Why is that? Because self-giving love is what he stood for. All right, look at Luke chapter 6. I mean, and the first time you read the Bible, you think Jesus is a nut. 
I mean, they nail him to a cross. He's up there and he's looking down and says, Father, forgive them? Really? I like the scripture about calling the ten legions of angels. That's more my style, do you see? I could relate to that scripture. The other one, or Stephen getting stoned. Father, forgive them. I don't have much of an arm, but I'll tell you what, they've got quite a few rocks back for me as hard as I could throw them at the time. See, all these things start to change the way you think when you look at the way Jesus handled it. Because Jesus is like the kingdom on two legs. He's like the example of the character of the kingdom, what the kingdom's supposed to be like. All right, Luke chapter 6. Look at verse 31. Jesus says, And as you would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. In other words, Jesus says, the way that you want to be treated should be the way that you treat other people. Oh, what's the scripture that goes good with that? Love your, as you love your, as you love yourself. What's he saying? What would you like in that situation? You made a mistake. What would you like? Would you like the whole church spreading it, talking about it, putting it in the paper? Or would you like somebody coming to pray for you and help you and help you get out of it? Somebody's sick. What would you like to do? Make fun of them for being sick? What do you want to do? You want to treat others as they basically have treated you. So you want to treat them in a good manner. You want to treat them in a good manner. And it doesn't matter. Once again, young, old, whatever they are, you're in a place basically to minister to people all the time. Say all the time. And here's another scripture that pops up every now and then on me. Jesus was talking about being the son of God and the son of God and, and his, my father and they got mad at him for calling him his father. And all at once Jesus says, the father is always working. Say the father, the father is, always is always working. Now he was relating that to being a son of God. And if the father's always working, then the son of God should always be working. All right, when I got in the ministry, I thought my part was to get a sermon ready for Sunday morning, a sermon ready for Sunday night, do a little prayer in the morning time, read a little bit Bible, and I was done. I did my duty. And then that scripture came up to me. The Father is always working. So that means wherever I go and whatever I do, guess what's happening? The Father is always... So every place I go, I should always be... I shouldn't take time. Well, I went to church on Sunday... I'm done with that for the week, praise God. Next Sunday morning, I'll get back in church. No, I've got a problem. The Father is always working. So you're working. When you go to lunch today, guess what? The Father is looking to work. The problem is we turn it on and we shut it down. And we turn it on. Wednesday night's here. Click. Praise God. Oh, Wednesday service over. Click. I can go back and just live my life the way I want to. No, every place you go, everything you do, the Father is always looking to work. The problem is he can't find people who are willing to work because they already did their work and they think they're done for the week. So, so I found out my ministry was actually full-time. Yeah. We think we're part-time, but we're not. We're full-time 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He's always working. We always got to be ready to work no matter where we're at, no matter what we're doing. You might have that one smile that they need that day. You might need that one hug, and you have it there. You're always looking to further the kingdom of God continually rather than trying to do, what's God calling me to do? He's calling you to do it every single day, every minute of the day, and continue working for the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Now, I'll tell you what that does. It protects you. Protects you from depression. Protects you from being sad. I mean, most people want to go on vacation during the summertime. We're in July. We're going to take off a week on vacation. Yes. You go on vacation. You got the whole thing planned. How many know most of the time nothing goes the way it was supposed to go? The car breaks down. You make a wrong turn. You get to the hotel. It's messed up. The hotel stinks. The pool's closed. Uh, you go, And by the time you get back in a week, you're thinking, my God, I need a vacation. 
But now notice, if you're gone thinking that you're going there to do the Father's work, then even if the pool's closed and he, and he actually uses you to get somebody saved, even if the hotel stinks, but you find somebody that you can minister to, are you following me? Even when you come back, it's still going to be a success because you were doing the whole time what you were created to do, and that was reach out to other people in their lives and help other people in their lives. It won't be based on whether it was sunny, whether it rained, whether it was hot, whether it was cold, whether it was this or whether that. And we get so caught up in the natural and forget about what we're supposed to do in the spirit that we don't do anything in the spirit and the natural don't line up and then we end up depressed on something that we really thought was going to bring us joy. So it's always good to give in any situation. Have you ever tried to give and be nice to somebody who wouldn't be nice back? All right, look at Luke chapter 10. All right, Luke chapter 10, look at verse 2. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, and the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your ways, behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Carry nothing purse, nor script, nor shoes, and salute no man by the way. And into whatsoever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if the Son of Peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, what will happen? It will return to you. So what's he saying here? You go to some place and you're ready to minister. You say, peace to this house, but they don't like you. They don't receive what you're offering. They don't receive yourself giving anything. Don't worry. It will come back and you'll be better off than you were the first time because you sowed and now you've probably reaped more back. Are you following me? So even if you're trying to bless somebody and they don't want to be blessed, even if you're telling somebody how nice they are and they tell you how you stink, it doesn't matter because in your end, are you following me? You're still in the kingdom and you're still reaping, praise God, what the kingdom promises you. Now, I'll tell you what, they're going to reap also what the world promises them, but that's not your concern. You have done your part. It's not like you offer somebody peace and they take it and you never get it back. And then you've got three quarters peace on the inside of you. No, it comes back. That's what he was trying to say here. Don't worry about it if they neglect you or reject you or whatever. It comes back to you anyway. It's still a benefit for you to do that. All right, go to Matthew 25. All right, Matthew 25, look at verse 34. Jesus once again is speaking. He says, Then shall the king say, First of all, he separated the goats on one side and the sheep on the other. Verse 34, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungered, and fed thee, and thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? And when saw he thee sick, when did we see you sick, and in prison, and came to you? And the king answered him, and said, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of my brethren, you have done it unto me. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting father, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was a hungered, and you gave me no meat. 
Thirsty, you gave me no drink. A stranger, you didn't take me in. Naked, you didn't clothe me. Sick, you didn't come. In prison, you didn't visit me. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we hungered, and a thirst, and a stranger, and naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not serve or help you or minister to you? Then shall he answer and say, Verily I say unto you, insomuch as you did not do it for one of the least of my brothers, you did not do it to who? Me. Now this is a scary scripture, isn't it? But if you, if you don't understand the scripture, it's talking about two different kind of people. It's talking about the righteous people. Who are the righteous people? You are. Why are you righteous? Because of what Jesus did. He made you the righteousness God of Christ. So he's talking about the righteous people and the unrighteous people. But he's showing you here one of the main differences are. Notice, notice what they questioned Jesus on. They said, when did, we, when did we do it? When did we do this for you? He said, whenever you did it to the least of my brothers, you did it to me. And then the other ones, the ones who didn't do anything, what do they say? They say, when did we do this? So what's, what's the real thought here? The real thought is to us, of course, but it's to them too. It's to basically the, the wicked. If we'd have known it was you, we would have did it. If we'd known it was you that was thirsty, if we'd known it was you that was hungry, if we'd known that you needed something, then we'd have did it for you. See? But the righteous didn't know it was him and didn't care. They did it, not even thinking about Jesus, doing it to Jesus. But what did they discover? When they did it to their brother, they did it to Jesus. How many know if, if even the wickedest person in the world believed in Jesus and he showed up and wanted a drink, how many know they'd get it? Yeah. They'd put ice in it and get him whatever drink he wanted, praise God, if he knew it was Jesus. Now, if anybody else walked up, guess what? They couldn't care less at all. So what's he saying here? He's saying that basically it's not, I'm serving the Lord. Are you serving others? I love the Lord with all my heart. Are you loving others? Well, no, but I love Jesus. Then you're not loving the Lord. Then you're not serving the Lord. Because whatever you do to the least of my brethren, you do to, to me. So he's making the thing here where there's no stipulation. You can't pick and choose who you're going to do it to. You basically, this is a lifestyle. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We're servants. We're serving others. It's causing promotion in our lives. It's causing us to live free of sickness and disease. It's causing us to live free of, of being down and out and being depressed. It's keeping us emotionally steady, physically steady, and every other way steady. All right, go to Romans chapter 12. I mean, when you've got real good friends or something and they're having a problem, I mean, you'll go to them and you'll say, hey, whatever you need, I'll do anything for you. But the question is, how about the person you don't like walks by and says the same thing? Would you say, I'll do anything for you? Or would you say, well, here's 10 cents, you know, see how far that goes or whatever. So he's not, he's not making, he's trying to get us from classifying people in our lives with positions, basically. People are people of God. All right, Romans chapter 12, look at verse 6. Paul does a good job here. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether it be prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of our faith. If it's ministry, let us wait on our ministry. Or if it's teaching, let us teach. Or if he exhorts exhortation, he that gives, let him do it with simplicity. He that rules with diligence, he that shows mercy and cheerfulness. Now, how many know he's talking about different gifts in the body of Christ then? Everybody has different gifts in the body of Christ. But most people in the body of Christ want to either be a prophet an evangelist, a pastor, a teacher, an apostle. They want all that stuff before their names for some reason. But notice, not only does he give the gifts that are available to us, he gives the qualifications for operating in those gifts. Verse 9, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. 
not lazy in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the saints, giving to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that do weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much lieth in you. Live peaceably with how many men? All men. So what's he doing? He's given the underline for your position. You want to be a pastor? Then do these other things. You want to be a big apostle? Then do these other things. Just don't put apostle before your name. Then live whatever lifestyle you want to live. It doesn't work that way. There's qualifications to do it, and he lists the qualifications basically there to it. What about if somebody basically doesn't want to receive and doesn't like you? Verse 20. Therefore, if thine enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, thou shalt heap what? Coals of fire upon his head. Hallelujah. Verse 21. Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with what? Good. Good. So what's he telling? Once again, we do it to everybody, don't we? We do it to those that like us. We do it to those that don't like us. What are we doing? That's what we're walking in. That's the way we do things. It's just the way it happens. But we've got these qualifications in the kingdom of God. All right, one more. Go to Galatians chapter 5. One of the biggest changes I've seen in my life since getting in the ministry, really pursuing the kingdom of God, is that, and it may not mean much to you, but it is to me, but little kids love me now. Before I was saved, before I was living the way of the world or whatever, kids just didn't stand me. If I picked up a kid, it cried. I don't care if it was the happiest kid in the world. If a kid came close to me and I looked at it, it turned and it ran the other way. If I'd asked the kid to come to me, basically it'd frown and it'd run the other way. Because I'll tell you what, kids are sensitive probably more sensitive than we are because we've been through a lot more stuff. But all at once, things started changing to where little kids would come up. They, w they would come up, and they would, without me asking them, and they would do things. And, you know, I'd go to God, and I'd say, wow, what's a change? And they just said they can sense on you your heart and the way that you do things. Did you ever have somebody who every time they pick up a baby, it cries? And it doesn't matter whose baby it is? Well, what is that? Something's wrong there somewhere along the line. Are you following me? And those kids can sense it. People said animals can even do that stuff. I mean, I don't know. I'm not much into animals, but that's what I've heard. All right, Galatians chapter 5. One of our favorite scriptures. Chapter 5, verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the freedom wherewith Christ has made us, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now, I read this scripture, and I knew that Jesus set me free, and I knew that I've been free from sickness. I've been freed from disease. I've been freed from sin. I've been freed for this stuff, but it tells me to stand fast. Say, stand fast. So how was I going to stand fast? I was taught I was going to say, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm standing on the rock, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. Uh, nothing's going to change me. This is where I'm at. This is where I'm going to confess the word of God. I'm going to stand fast. For the, for the. But then you get on to verse 13, it tells you. Verse 13. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your... Where am I? Oh, I'm in verse... All right, look at verse 13. For brethren, are you a brethren? Yes. You have been called where? To liberty. To liberty. Anyway, well, first verse told us that, didn't it? Stand fast, therefore, in the? Liberty. 
So he says, you've been called unto liberty. Only use your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but do what? By love, love, do what? So how am I going to stand fast in the liberty that has set me free? Don't get me wrong. Confessing the word is fine. That's great. But if you're going to confess the word and not get along with anybody else, you might as well stop confessing the word and change your... Are you following me? Well, I've confessed I'm healed 42 times, but I sure hate everybody that ever got healed. Well, then... See, it's not going to work for you. So what do we do? We stand fast. How do we do that? We serve other people in love. What's that do? Keep you in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free. That's why people who are self-giving are happy people. People who are self-giving, no matter what's going on around them, are positive in their attitude most of the time. Basically because they are self-giving people. It's a way not only to, to live, but a way to stay in freedom. It's a way to live out of all the things that are going on in the world. It's a way to step out of the world that Jesus has set us free. Galatians says he has delivered us from this present evil world. How many have been delivered from it? But you've got to choose whether you're going to be delivered or whether you're going to walk in this world or whether you're not. And how are we going to do that? Self-giving love. Say self-giving love. Say I am a child of God. And I love everybody. I choose to serve everybody. Friendly? Unfriendly? Happy people? Sad people? Good people? Bad people? Rich people? And poor people. I choose to give of myself, my finances, my smile, my wisdom, my knowledge, my love to every single person because that is the nature of God and I have the nature of God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. for listening. For more from Treasure Coast Victory Center, visit us at mytcbc.com.